0: Well, my friends, if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open them to Acts chapter 11. As we look at the church at Antioch, Acts chapter 11. Allow me for just a minute to uh, brag on the Lord and how the Lord has used us as a church body historically in our, help me out, Bob, 183 years? A long time. <laughs> We've been around for a long time. How many? It's been a lot. A lot of years. Let me share with you how the Lord has used us historically. We have historically here been a sending church. That, that means that our church history is filled with people who have gone to plant churches from here. Pastors that have been sent out and missionaries that have left to share the gospel with the world. We have changed locations three times. Uh, we once met in a log cabin we also met at Ferrer and uh, is that Rollins, or not uh, Morley, uh, where the towers are now. That was once our location, and now we meet here at 514 West Rollins. And each time we've moved, it's been strategic. We've moved so that more people can hear the gospel, so that we can be more effective in our gospel witness. We are either the father or grandfather of every Southern Baptist church in town, meaning that we have either planted every Southern Baptist church, or the church that we have planted has planted another church in town. We have a history of sending pastors to El Paso in order to print uh, literature for Mexicans living in Juarez. So, Michael, that means we have a Juarez connection long before we ever had a Juarez connection through Casas por Cristo. We have sent mission teams in the last few decades. We've sent mission teams from Ohio to Montana, from Minnesota to Nebraska. We have been all over our country helping churches spread the word. We've sent mission teams around our continent, from Juarez, Mexico, to Acuna, Mexico, to Nicaragua. We have been a church that is on mission, and we have sent mission teams around the world to places like Belarus and maybe soon, maybe, big emphasis on maybe, uh, South Asia. In March of 2022, I stood in the fellowship hall and shared with our church family that We wanted to become what we already were, that we wanted to become a multi-generational sending church, a church where every generation gathers to worship. We didn't want to be a church for the older generation or a church for the younger generation. We wanted to be a church for all generations, and we long to see families, multi-generations gathering together to worship. I also mentioned that we, we want to become a sending church. A church that sends out pastors and church planters and missionaries. To become a sending church, you need three simple things. First, we must be a church that calls out the called. And we're doing that here with our pastoral training center uh, at FBC Moberly. We are calling out the called. Currently, we are training three men to be pastors. And you may wonder why I'm so passionate about training men to become pastors and the answer is because that's exactly what you did for me. Twenty-two years ago, I lived across the road, 115 Elizabeth Street. And I wandered into this place, watched this place, fill up every Sunday and wondered why you, were, why you were doing that. Why did you come here every Sunday? And why did you leave? And why would you give of your time and of your money to come here and worship? I was an atheist then, didn't believe in God. Soon then I'd get married And then I would soon call this place home as the Lord would save me and then use you to train me. And so now, the kid who walked in here 22 years ago now stands as your pastor. And that's not without challenges. It's hard to lead a church where you grew up in, spiritually speaking. And it's hard to be led by someone who you helped grow up. It's not without challenges, but God has been faithful and good to Uh, call out pastors once again, and I'm a prime example of that. So to be a church that is a sending church, we must be a church that calls out the called. Secondly, to be a church that sends, we must have many painful but glorious, I call them gospel goodbyes, where we wave goodbye to those who have been called, the men and women who have been called to take the gospel around the world. We stand and wave goodbye to them as they carry the gospel into new neighborhoods in Moberly and our. They carry the gospel to new nations. It'll be hard. Gospel goodbyes are always hard. But to be ascending church, you must call out the called. You must have many painful goodbyes. And to be ascending church means that we are a church that sacrifices, a church that sacrifices time and money, being willing to part with both in order to see the gospel advance in our community and in our nation. Up until this point in the book of Acts, we've seen several themes. We have seen the theme of the Holy Spirit, which is the most dominant theme, the Holy Spirit moving in and among God's people, and the gospel expanding from Jerusalem outward into the world. We've seen the theme of persecution over and over again in the book of Acts, and we'll continue to see all of those themes, but today we're going to add one more theme, and that is this. In the book of Acts, we see churches that send, sending churches. And this morning, you're going to see the church, the sending church, calling out the called, saying goodbye, and sacrificing money and time for the gospel to advance. In other words, you are going to see very clearly from the pages of Scripture, a sending church. And what I hope to show you today by uh, the Spirit of the Lord is how the Almighty God, how our Almighty God calls a church to become organized strong, and then commissions that church to be a sending church. We'll see three steps to becoming a sending church. And so with that in mind, I'd ask you to pray. If you'd bow your heads, close your eyes, humble your hearts, and pray with me. Now, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you, uh, you did a mighty work here in Acts chapter 11. And I pray you would reveal that to us in a very clear way this morning. I thank you for being a God that sends As we think about being a sending church, we are only doing what you've done. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent Jesus. You sent your son here to sacrifice on the cross for us. And so God, we pray that you would help us to be like that. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Three steps for God's plan to be a sending church. Number one. You will see from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 21, that the church that was scattered became the church that was sent, or as I like to say it, God has a plan. You see, there's all, there, it appears to be two different worlds at work. When the church that was scattered, they were scattered thinking they were running from persecution, but God had a greater plan for their pain. On Sunday, April 30th, way back in the way back time machine, if we go to Sunday, April 30th of this year, you'll recall that I preached about Stephen the martyr. On Sunday, May 7th, we saw the result of the, the, the martyrdom of Stephen when Stephen was killed for, for sharing his faith. And, and on Sunday, May 7th, I shared the result of that with you. Let me just read to you. You can find it in your Bibles, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. The Bible says that on that day, on the day that Stephen was martyred, On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. That's a key word. Remember that word. They were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And so if we were able to go back to Acts chapter 8, verse 1 in real time and interview the people who were running around, the people who were being scattered out because of the persecution, I believe that we would hear two things. Number one, I would believe we would hear... The scattered church telling us we're running, we're being scattered because Saul and the Jews are persecuting us. And so we got to leave, we got to get out of town. And then the second thing I think that we would hear is this, we hate leaving and we hate running and we don't want to leave our home, we didn't choose this and we don't like this. The church was scattered. And today you'll see how that story comes full circle. They're leaving because of a man named Saul and they hate leaving. I mentioned earlier the word in Acts 8:1 scattered appears all except the apostles were scattered. That word in Greek is diaspero, diaspero. It appears 3 times in the book of Acts, once in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, once in Acts chapter 8 verse 4, where it says those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. And it'll appear once today in our text. The word scattered means this, imagine uh, has anyone planted any grass seed this summer? Okay, when you, uh, no one has. We don't plant grass. When, when, uh, when you plant grass seed, you have two options. You can pour it into one of those uh, machines. What's that called, Dan? Is that a seeder? <laughs> a what? Spreader. Okay, perfect. You pour that into the spreader and then you push the spreader and it scatters the seed all the way around. That's one option. The other option is you can do what I do. You just take your hand and you just, you just throw it, right? <laughs> The point is, the seed is scattered everywhere. That's what happened to the church. In Acts chapter 8, the church was scattered everywhere. And the scattered church, according to chapter 8 verse 4, went on their way preaching the word. Now when we scatter seed, we can only throw so far. But when the Lord scatters the church, well, He's got a much stronger arm than we've got. He can scatter the church far, far away. Look in your Bibles, Acts chapter 11 Beginning in verse 19, the Bible says, Now those who had been, what's the word that you see there? Scattered. Those who had been scattered, the third and final time that we see that word, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now for context, here's a map for you that you'll see behind me. The map shows the location. It's kind of hard to read, I know. The map shows the locations of Jerusalem, Antioch, Cyprus, and Tarsus. You can tell that Antioch is uh, quite a ways away from Jerusalem. In fact, it's about 300 miles away. For context, if we get in our cars today and we drive towards Chicago, we'll almost get there. We'll get about 30 miles west of the suburbs of Chicago. That's how far... 300 miles is. That's how far the church was scattered in Acts chapter 8. From Jerusalem to Antioch. And the culture between Jerusalem and Antioch was vastly different. Almost as different as the culture between Moberly and Chicago. Vastly different culture in in Antioch. Antioch was just a small town. And by small town, I mean huge town. It was the third largest town in the Roman Empire home to anywhere from 500 to 800,000 people, which was huge for that day. It was found on the Orontes River. Remember that, that's important. Antioch was religiously pluralistic. They had lots of gods and goddesses. In Antioch, you would find temples built to the Greek goddess Daphne and the Greek god Apollo. You would find temple prostitution run amok. It was known for its immorality. You can think uh, Amsterdam of the Bible. One commentator writes that a common critique of Antioch was that it was that, that the, the filth of the Orontes, the filth of the river that Antioch was founded upon, the filth of the river had flowed into other communities. It was a vile and wicked place. And situated within Antioch in that little city there were, theologians estimate, twenty five to 50,000 Jews living in Antioch. And as a result of the persecution of Stephen, those Jews living in Antioch heard all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what verse 19 says. That they shared the word to no one except the Jews. Meaning only the Jewish population in Antioch heard about Jesus But the Bible also says that God so loved, help me out, the world. That the Bible, the Bible, the, the gospel story is for Jew and Gentile. For the Jew first, but also the Gentile. And the Bible commands us to take the gospel to all nations. And we saw that last week in the first half of Acts chapter 11 when Peter shared the gospel in Caesarea. The gospel went to all the world. So this is what happens next. Look in your Bibles, verse 20. The Bible says there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also. Do you see that? They were proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. Can I put that in modern vernacular for us? Can I put that in modern terms? Verse verse 20, here's what that verse means. There were some of them, men from other places, who came and began to tell, quote, those people the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greeks. Those people making up a, the, the group of people who might have worshipped the Greek goddess or the Greek god. The filth of the Orantes, Someone, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, Dared to share the gospel with them. They had a vastly different value system. They had a vastly different view on life, but someone dared to share the gospel with them. You want to know why? You already know why. For God so loved. I'm eternally grateful that we are a church that takes the gospel to quote those people. You want to know why? Because I was one of, quote, those people. The atheist who had a vastly different view of life than you had. The atheist who had uh, no problem partying his way into adulthood. I was one of those Greek-speaking people. Those people, different. Didn't agree with you on anything. And I wondered again, why in the world would you come to this place? Why would you do this? (laughs) And now, by God's good grace, here I am. As your pastor, 23 years later, only God could write that story. But you know what I've learned over the years is that God is a really good author. He's, he's really good at writing stories that we could never dream up. Here's the reality. There aren't those people and us people. There are saved people and lost people. And saved people are called to take the gospel to lost people. And that's what we do, and that's what we see here. Men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, to the lost people in the community. And look at what happens, verse 21. When the church, when the church that is scattered, they were scattered because of the persecution. They begin to share the gospel with the Jews among them, and the Greeks among them. And look at what happens, verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number of people who believed turned to the Lord. To God be the glory, that God saves lost people, and He uses us to do it. Isn't that an amazing story? Those people became saved people. They became brothers and sisters. The church that was scattered became the church that was sent, and the church that was sent became the church that was strong. This funny thing happens whenever we gather as a church and begin to share the gospel, and God does one of those mighty moves that He is so well known for, a mighty move of God. When those things happen, the world hears about it. 300 miles north of Jerusalem, people are being saved left and right. And the news about what's happening in Antioch begins to spread. And it moves, that news moves 300 miles south to Jerusalem. Look in your Bibles, verse 22 through 24. My Bible says that news about them reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Can you see the story? Can you see what happened here? Salvations in Antioch are astonishingly high. And the church in Jerusalem has a decision to make. We got to send somebody to Antioch. And we've got to help them understand the Word of God. Help them understand the Bible. Help them apply the Bible. Help them to live for the gospel. What they needed was a pastor. Pastoral leadership to help train them and show them who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and why it all matters. And so the church in Jerusalem picked the perfect man for the job. And then the church in Jerusalem waved a gospel goodbye to him. His name was Barnabas. We've seen him appear several times in Scripture. The first time we saw him was in Acts chapter 4. When the Bible tells us that he sold his field, do you remember that? He sold his field and gave the money to the church. And the Bible says that he was, uh, that he was called the, the, an encourager. Barnabas the encourager. He was also the one who presented Saul to the church in Acts chapter 9 and encouraged and advocated for him and his testimony. Barnabas was a constant encourager, but there's something missing from Barnabas, at least in the context of being sent to a church being sent to an area where God is moving. Up until this point, when the church in Jerusalem has sent out someone to check on the work in an area and lead a church in an area, it's been an apostle, Peter and John. But Barnabas is not an apostle. That's missing from his life. He is, well, he's just Barnabas. So why would they choose Barnabas to go all the way up to Antioch? Well, at first, I believe it was the Lord's will, but I also believe it was so very obvious. Let me share with you why. The Bible says in Acts four thirty six that Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus. Steve, can you go back two slides and show us the map one more time? Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus. Do you see where Cyprus is on the map? Do You see where Antioch is from the map. Because Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus, he likely spoke Greek. He likely knew the area. He was familiar with the things in Antioch. And he was a solid man of faith. A good man, the Bible calls him. He was the man for the job. And so the church in Jerusalem stood up, waved a gospel goodbye to Barnabas. I had this picture in my head in the south. I don't know if y'all do this here in the Midwest, but when I would go visit my grandma and grandpa in the south, and we would leave, it was like an hour-long leaving process where we would say goodbye and hug. And say goodbye and hug. And say goodbye again and hug. And we'd get in our car and say goodbye again. And the whole time, from the the moment we left my grandma's house to the moment we got in the car, my grandma and grandpa just stood on the front porch like this. Bye. I've said bye 10 times. Bye. Love you. Bye. And we'd get in our car and we'd go up the long driveway. And sure enough, my grandma and my granny, I'd call her granny and granddaddy, They'd be there waving all the way until they couldn't see our car anymore. That's the image that I have here of the Jerusalem church. Just waving goodbye to Barnabas. A gospel goodbye. And Barnabas shows up in Antioch and the Bible says that he was deeply encouraged by what he saw there. And the church began to grow and Barnabas realizes, I need more help. And so what does he do? Well, look in your Bibles. Verse 25. The Bible said that he went to Tarsus to search for who? The same guy who was used to persecute the church resulting in the scattering of the church was now being called to disciple the church. Only God can write that story. But God's a far better author than we are. And so Barnabas goes to Tarsus and searches for Saul. Steve, one more time. I'm sorry, brother. Can you show us that map one more time? You see where Tarsus is on the map? Very top. Barnabas leaves Antioch, goes to Tarsus, and one commentator indicates that there's a Greek word there, searching, which indicates that Barnabas might have had a hard time finding him, that he had to really look hard for him, likely because he was busy ministering to the Lord, ministering for the Lord, to God's people. He finds him, and look at what happens. Look in your Bibles. I'll start again in verse 25. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. There's another gospel goodbye. The church at Tarsus waved goodbye to their hometown preacher. That was tough. Saul leaves Tarsus along with Barnabas, and they head back to Antioch. And now the growing church in Antioch has solid leadership. Look at the end of verse 26. The Bible says, For a whole year... They met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called. Do you see that? What were they first called in Antioch? That's important. That word Christian in Greek means uh, belonging to Christ or literally belonging to the party of Christ. Don't you love that? Like when you say you are a Christian, what you are communicating is, I belong to Christ. And that's important. Because if you belong to Christ, you are expected to act like it. The Lord has some pretty high standards. He expects you to act appropriately because you represent Him and His family. So when you go to the restaurant and you blow up at the waitress or the waiter and then you get in your car and you drive to First Baptist Church, you have not represented the Lord well. To belong to the Lord means that you act like it. To say I'm a Christian means that I belong to Christ. That means something. Words matter deeply. We belong to Christ. And we want to represent Him as His ambassador in this place, Moberly, Missouri. Furthermore, when we belong to Christ, that means that we don't get to make our own decisions. That's what the Lord part of salvation means. He is our Savior and our Lord. Meaning He tells us where to go and what to do. He tells us when we have to say gospel goodbyes. And we go. We go because he is Lord. Barnabas left Jerusalem, the Bible says, for a year. This is the last recorded instance that I can find of Saul being in Tarsus, his hometown. Left. Why did they leave? They had a good thing going in Antioch. Why did they leave? Because they're Christians and they belong to Christ. And when Christ says to go, they go. That's what it means for Jesus to be your Lord. The church that was scattered became the church that was sent. And the church that was sent became the church that was strong. They grew under Barnabas and Saul's leadership. And then the Lord flips the script. As we see, finally, the church that was strong became the church that sent the church that was strong became the church that sent. Look at verse 27. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. By the way, you saw on the map that Antioch is north of Jerusalem. And you read in verse 27, they came down. That's because of the elevation. They came down in elevation. They came from, down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Verse 28, one of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by the means of Barnabas and Saul. Not only did the strong church at Antioch take an offering, sending their money back to Judea, and we would later learn that Saul and and Barnabas go to Jerusalem specifically. Not only do they send their money there as an offering to help their brothers and sisters, but they sent their two preachers. Can you imagine here if we took an offering, collected an offering, a big offering, and you said, okay, Michael, okay, Brian, we'll see you later. We're going to Chicago to plant a church. That's what happens here. I can guarantee you, though, I can guarantee you that Barnabas and Saul were busy preparing the next pastor at Antioch. They spent a whole year there. They didn't leave the church. They didn't abandon the church. They just handed the leadership over to someone else. Because it's not their church. Whose church is it? The Lord's church. And so Barnabas and Saul take an offering. And look in your Bible in verse 29. Can you see this in verse 29? It says that each of the disciples, this is in Antioch, According to his ability, determined to send relief to who? Brothers and sisters. Don't you love that? Lost people and saved people. And the lost people in Antioch became saved people. And they took an offering and they sent it back to Jerusalem to the family of God, to their brothers and sisters who live in Jerusalem. You see how it comes full circle? Saul persecuted the church. The church scattered. As the church scattered, they preached the word. As they preached the word, people were saved. As the church in Antioch began to grow, Barnabas was sent to Antioch. As the church continued to grow under Barnabas, he went to get Saul, who caused the scattering of the church to begin with. And now we see Saul returning back to Jerusalem with an offering from those whom he caused to scatter in order to help their brothers and sisters. We've seen here how the scattered church became the sent church. They scattered in Antioch and learned the word. How the sent church became the strong church. They grew under the godly leadership of Saul and Barnabas. And now we see how the strong church becomes a sending church as they sent out both an offering and their leaders back to Jerusalem. And today, of all days, I I feel like I say this every Sunday. In God's good providence, I want you to see this sermon in action. Some sermons are better seen than heard. And this is going to be one of them. God knew long ago that we would be preaching about the sending church in Acts chapter 11. On this day, July 2nd, let me share with you. uh, Josh Mosley, Josh, wave at us. Josh Mosley has a strong burden and a call from the Lord to be a pastor. He's been in our pastoral training center every Tuesday. We gather together. We've had different people come and share. Pastor Bob has shared several times. Uh, James Rawlings, who's a pastor in our association, he's come and shared. Uh, we, We meet every Tuesday for an hour, hour and a half. And every Tuesday, Josh is there taking notes, reading the assignments that we give. We give books out to read every month. They go through a theological training online. It's a lot of work, amen? Yeah, Steve is also a part of that pastoral training center. Josh has led in a youth group for the last several months, but a few months ago, uh, he began leading in youth group at Sturgeon Baptist Church. When did you start that, Josh? Three months ago? Three or four months ago? In July, Josh will be the uh, camp preacher for our children's camp at Crossroads Baptist Association. Did I mention next fall he's going to Spurgeon College to learn how to be a pastor, learn theology? Next week, Josh will go to Sturgeon Baptist Church where he will preach, as he's done a few times. And after he preaches, Sturgeon, our sister, brothers and sisters in Sturgeon, they will vote not on him being their senior pastor, but they'll vote on him being their permanent pulpit supply, which means they will vote on Josh being the guy who preaches the word to them every single Sunday until they find a new senior pastor. That'll happen next Sunday, and if they vote in the affirmative, which I anticipate they will, Joshua will begins July 16th every Sunday, preaching the word to our brothers and sisters in Sturgeon. Josh, I'm going to ask you to come on up here, if you will. And Greg, I'm going to ask you to come up here, if you will, too. Greg, is, uh, Greg Taylor is Josh's family deacon. Here at First Baptist, deacons are assigned to families and they serve. We, we are a deacon body that serves. And one of the ways that our deacons serve is to pray for you. So you are prayed for by your deacon. Today, this morning, Greg is going to pray as your deacon. Greg is going to pray for you, Josh, and pray for the Lord's will to be done, and we are, as a church, going to send him. We're going to send you to Sturgeon, and we're going to wave our gospel goodbye, just like my granny did, all the way down. Before we do that, though, Josh, I want to allow you just a moment to say a few words. Is this mic on? Say a few words and share with us exactly how we can pray for you over the next few months.
1: All right. Well, so, is it on? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just can't you just got to speak so loud. Out yeah. Um, so, when Brian told me that we were going to do this, I thought it was kind of ironic that he was preaching over sending out people. But I'd say, like, a main thing for you all to be praying about is just God keep doing a work in my own heart and also a work in Morgan and I, who's my fiance. Now. What? Say that again. What?
0: Say that again. She's your what?
1: My fiance.
0: You asked her to marry you?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hey, when, when he asked you, what did you say? <laughs> so did she say yes? Yeah. Okay, okay, good, good.
1: But just for God to keep doing a work, but I was thinking, and I think it was God kind of telling me this morning to ask you all to pray for me to keep living out First Timothy 4, 1 through 7, of what a pastor should be, and not just standing in a pulpit or acting in a church, but... Also, in his lifestyle and his family's lifestyle. So, I think if you all can do that, God works in every way in that moment. So,
0: amen. Josh, would you pray, or Greg, would you pray for Josh? What's about? Lord, we thank you so much for Josh. We thank you so much for his willingness to answer your call. We just thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given him, not only to go to seminary this fall, but also the opportunity that he's been. Given at Sturgeon Baptist Church, we just pray that you would continue to work in His life, continue to talk to Him, Lord, as He prepares uh, sermons on a weekly basis, and just continue to lead Him in all that He does. We just pray that you also be with Sturgeon Baptists as they search search for their their preacher.
1: We pray that Josh would uh, fill the necessary void that they need um, until you find the person that they uh, that they need to to lead their church. We just thank you so much for Josh and.
0: And all that he has going for him and 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 leading others to you. This we ask in your
1: name. Amen.
0: Amen. If you will commit to praying for Josh, I want to ask you to show him that visually by just simply standing where you are. If you'll commit to praying for him over the next several months as he leaves the word. So, Josh, what I want you to see is as you go, as you are sent, you are not going on your own, but we are sending you and praying for you, and we are going to continue to support you in every way that we can. Praise God that we are ascending church. <laughs> Amen.